You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. The word of the Lord from today's text. Good morning. I'm Ralph Richardson, one of the elders here at Mill Creek. Don't you appreciate the message through song that Ricky and the, and the instrumentalists and the singers bring to us every Sunday? Thank you so much. Our scripture reading this morning from which the pastor will be teaching comes from Romans chapter 8. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Roman Christians and we're going to read from verses 18 through 30. Romans 8, 18 through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of, of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now we hope, now hope that is seen is not hope, but who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word assures us that we have a hope for heaven. We have the Holy Spirit to strengthen us when we don't know how to even ask for help from you. Lord, we thank you that all things work for good, not just some things, not just the things that feel good, but all things work, to good, work together for good if we know your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. Lord, help us to be open, to be formed, to be... Uh, molded to be worked into a way that is growing to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen.
Thank you, doctor. What is uh, the worst pain you've ever experienced personally? Worst pain you've been through? I've heard kidney stones are awful. Heard shingles, rotten, uh, cluster headaches, migraines. I've not experienced any of those. A doctor one time told me it's brain aneurysm. That is the worst pain you could ever experience. Uh, I Googled it to see what Google tells me is the worst pain. And on their top 10 list, there was one pain that when I was growing up, I thought was the absolute worst that was absent. I don't, I don't know why Google didn't think childbirth should make the top 10 list. Sorry, ladies. But in my head, that as a kid growing up, only brothers, hearing from mom, it's like, dude, that is the worst pain. And it made sense to me that childbirth would be the worst pain because it's there in Genesis 3. It's uh, what you ladies have as a consequence of, of your great-great-grandma Eve and, and her mistake. Uh, guys have a different sort of pain that they walk through with their work. But I just thought that would probably be at the top 10 of the list. And, and because it was like just like tattooed in my brain that this is so painful. As a kid, I always thought, okay, if it's so bad, why y'all got multiple kids? Because, like, I would I'd think to myself, well, I understand why you have the one, because you got no clue. But then after the one, what's wrong with you? That's what I thought. That it was something like uh, in college, we would do this thing called the gallon challenge. And, and the gallon challenge, you only need to play that game one time. And then, and then you'd never want to play that game again. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with what the gallon challenge is... Um, Went to K-State, and I didn't do the bar scene, uh, but boy, did I have a lot of fun with my friends. And the gallon challenge is when you get one gallon of milk, and you have to drink the entire gallon of milk in less than one hour. And then the challenge is you also have to keep it down. And if you've ever played the gallon challenge, I trust just looking at you, you have failed, uh, just like I did. Uh, and spoiler alert, unless you're like six foot eight, 350 pounds and a football player, you're going to lose the game. <laughs> and uh, really, it's not a game for you. It's a game for everybody watching you. <laughs> and it's a lot cheaper than a movie ticket. It's like, hey, four bucks for a gallon of milk. Let's do this. After you play the gallon challenge once, there's no need to play round two. If you want to play the gallon challenge, I will watch, but I don't want to partake because I've been through that. And that's what I thought childbirth was like until I became... On this side, I got married, so I had somebody finally speaking some truth into my brain, and then had some kids of my own, and, and now I realize something that I didn't get in college. If you have kids, you get it too. There is pain that happens during pregnancy, and pain that happens before the baby gets born. But on this side, there is a glory of those kids. It's just like, it's like unlike anything else. I mean, so you've held that little baby. There's just nothing like it. If you've never had kids before, man, I hope you get to experience that. There is pain. And then for this mom, the glory. And this is why, even if childbirth was the worst pain of all time, and even if Google said kidney stones, shingles, cluster headaches, brain aneurysms, you add them all up, they're still not as painful as childbirth. Even if that was the truth, I have no doubt, moms, you guys are tough as nails. I mean, the reason God's having you give birth because us guys wouldn't make it. 
And I trust you guys will keep having babies because the glory that comes through childbirth is unmatched. It's this principle that's actually a biblical principle Paul's going to unpack for us is this. Suffering leads to glory. Suffering leads to glory. And in our text today, Paul's going to reference childbirth as a living illustration for this Christian principle. And in our text today, he's going to unpack how a Christian is to think about suffering. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to Romans 8? We're going to begin in verse 18, and we're going to walk through verse 30. And I'd love for you to get your Bibles out. If you didn't bring one, there's one in the seat backs. Um, it's, uh, if you're using your phone or device, it's uh, in the English Standard Version. And I'd love for you to have the text in front of you so that you know I didn't just show up and go, oh, I feel like using a baby illustration today, and that's how I'm going to start the sermon. Rather, we're just looking at the text. I want to preach what's there. And to the degree that this sermon is faithful to God's Word, it is the Word of God for you the text has two big ideas, and the first one is this. Though you may suffer now, it is worth it. Though you may suffer now, it is worth it. Now those don't, that's not my idea. I think that's Paul's idea, and let me show you in the text how I draw that conclusion. Though you may suffer now, the, the suffering is worth it, verses 18 to 25. Now, make sure you know where we're at in the book of Romans. From chapter 1 to 5, Paul has explained this beautiful doctrine of justification by faith. In fact, I'd love for you to say that. Justification by faith, 1, 2, 3. Justification by faith. This is so special. This is like what Christianity has different than every other world religion. Every other world religion is justification by earning it. If I obey, God will love me. But, but, but in Christianity, what's different about us is it's justification. It's salvation by trusting in Jesus. In fact, if you want to be a really novel cult leader, what you should do is start a cult that's all justification by faith because nobody else is doing it. You'd have, you'd have the corner on the market besides gospel-centered Christians because nobody's doing this idea of free salvation. But that's what Paul hammers from 1 to 5. And it led some in the Roman church evidently to be asking the question, well, if we're justified by faith, and if Jesus loves to forgive us, well, then maybe we should sin a lot. And I don't know why they had a Sesame Street voice in there, but that's what they did, and they, and they said maybe we should sin a lot. And Paul says in Romans 6, no, no, just because you're justified by faith doesn't mean you should sin all the time which gets him to seven where there's this great problem where Christians go, but wait, like the good thing I want to do, I don't do. And then the bad thing that I don't want to do, I do. So how do I make sense of this war between the flesh and the spirit? How do I make sense of this battle inside of me? And so Paul goes in Romans 8, maybe one of the best chapters in the Bible. I think it is the best chapter of the Bible. He says, your identity is not a slave. You are an adopted son of God. You have the spirit living inside of you. Now forsake sin and obey Jesus. Somebody said last week, man, last week's sermon was good. And I thought, well, it's Romans 8. Good grief. If somebody can't preach Romans 8, they need a new job. So Paul just climbs this mountain of Romans 8, and we're just flying because you are an adopted son of God. You are empowered to obey him and love people and honor the Lord. And then he gets us to verse 17, and he says, if you will suffer with him. And I'm thinking, buzzkill, bro. Like we were good till you introduced this idea of suffering. That's the way it hit me. Here's what's important to know. Suffering looked out of place to me initially, but now that I've studied it, I've realized it's crucial. 
for anybody convinced that you're justified by faith, convinced that you can say no to sin, convinced that you want to obey God, convinced that you are an adopted son of God, it's, it's out of place. It feels out of place, but it's not because we need this hope. Verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. This text is power. Let me read that again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. Meaning, whatever suffering you're going through right now cannot touch what you're going to see someday. Now, we got to be sure we understand what's going on with suffering here. Because I'd hate for anybody in here to be like, Ma, I've been playing Call of Duty for 16 hours and I can't beat the big boss, but I'm suffering for the gospel, Mom, and I'm trying to get it done. Here's what, here's what Paul means by suffering. From Pillar Commentary, there's three definitions that would be helpful for you to know. Number one, there is a suffering that is the result of your sin. There's, there's suffering that comes because you have sinned against God. And there's these consequences and you've got to face those. That's part of the suffering. Number two, there is a suffering that occurs to Christians who, in case you haven't noticed, live in a non-Christian world. That's just par for course. You're going to love Jesus and try to live in a world that hates Jesus? You're going to suffer. You're going to experience this. And then finally, there's this definition that Paul wants us to get where he says, there is a suffering that happens from living in a fallen world. Like pains of childbirth. That's part of living in this world. That was the curse of Eve. She's going to want to rule over Adam. That's, the, that's part of it. For Adam, he's going to go to work. If you're a farmer in here, you know this. You work, you work, you work, and thorns. That's what happens. You sweat, you sweat, you sweat. Even if you're not farmers, you know this, men. You work, you work, you work, and you go, is that it? Man, I'm killing myself for that. That's the suffering that's coming. So what you'll notice is Call of Duty isn't in Paul's domain here, but there is a broad idea of suffering. So for us, it captures many of the legitimate difficulties that you have walked in with. If you're walking in here with health issues, that's covered under this definition. You may be facing some terminal diagnosis. You know somebody who's in that place. That is a suffering you're carrying. There's, uh, you're struggling with bad financial decisions. Maybe you're struggling with marriage issues, relational issues. This covers those types of suffering. This is what has Paul, this is what Paul has in mind. So he's speaking into this Roman church and he's saying, if you're struggling with these realities, you may be tempted to think that justification by faith means that you don't have to suffer, but you gotta know something. Justification by faith does not remove suffering. Justification by faith does not remove suffering, but it does help you move through suffering. Okay? Justification by faith doesn't mean, oh, I popped, a, I popped a happy pill. Now I don't have any problems in life. Though Jesus is great. But it's going to help you get through suffering. What Christians in Rome needed to hear, and by parallel, what we need to hear today is there is coming a day when, despite our suffering, 
every tear will be wiped away. There's coming a day, the Bible promises, and, and the Roman Christians needed to get this, and we need to get this. There's coming a day when we will say, it's worth it. And tomorrow's glory will eclipse today's suffering. Tomorrow's glory will eclipse your suffering today, no matter what you're going through. Do you believe that? Tomorrow's glory will eclipse whatever suffering you're going through. And you may be in here and you're, you, you may say, man, I'm not actually a Christian, man. I mean, I'm, I'm showing up. I'm kind of trying to figure this thing out. I'm, I'm considering your perspective, but I'm not a Christian, whether you're a teenager or oldest person in here. But if you're not a Christian, could I ask you, even if you're not sure if this is true, don't you wish it to be true? That your suffering isn't for nothing? And that there's somebody powerful enough to take that suffering you're enduring and turn it into something beautiful? I mean, if you're not a Christian, this may be an interesting idea for you to consider. Because what's the alternative? Where, where, what's your perspective? Suffering is just random or doesn't have a meaning. But Paul wants to make sure the Romans know, though you suffer now, your suffering is going to be worth it. But some encouragement. By the way, if you're struggling with suffering, you're not the only thing in our world going through suffering, look at verse 19 for what else is involved in the suffering. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Here's what Paul's saying. If you're struggling with suffering, you're not alone. Look out on the creation. It's struggling too. It's in the pain of childbirth right now. Which maybe has you going, are you kidding me? Like I walked out on a beautiful day. Pastor, have you not been outside on a beautiful day? You've never seen the Grand Canyon? Like, that stuff's beautiful. What do you mean it's groaning in the pains of childbirth? Well, I'm just reading the text. <laughs> what this tells me is, as beautiful as creation is, as beautiful as the clouds can be. This morning I got up early. I was walking around this new development over here, and the sun was rising, and it was just beautiful. However beautiful creation is this morning is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. So I think it'd be kind of fun, like a thousand years from now, put it on your calendar, everybody who's in the new heavens and the new earth, let's meet at the real Grand Canyon a thousand years from now in eternity and just go, you remember that crummy Grand Canyon we had when we were alive? Because it's nothing compared to what's going to be revealed. That's what the text is saying. Creation is awaiting future glory too. So Paul's wanting to encourage the Romans and by extension us, if you're suffering, you're not alone. Christian, the whole creation is suffering too. It's groaning in the pains of childbirth. And Paul's explaining, the baby's coming. The baby's coming. One of my old doctor friends, when we're wondering, like, how long until the baby comes? He goes, hey, man, last time I checked the stats, every baby that it was on its way, it always comes. <laughs> Maybe not exactly when mom was ready, but it's going to come. It feels awful today, but on that side of glory, it's brilliant. Verse 23. And not only the creation is groaning, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
Paul's saying, you're not alone in your waiting and in your groaning and your birth pains. The creation is waiting with you. And it's waiting for what? For us to be fully and finally adopted and redeemed. Last week we talked about Roman adoption. How a wealthy benefactor would go handpick somebody. And getting handpicked by the wealthy benefactor was like hitting the lottery in Roman culture. Because whatever debts you owed. And whatever sort of police record you might have. And whatever problems you had in your former life. Wiped away. You didn't do none of that. The adopted benefactor cleaned your record and brought you into his family. And then you're the heir apparent with a new name, a new future, and it's brilliant in front of you. And this idea that we could be adopted sons of God in that way, our record made clean, debts paid, and we have hit the lottery. That's the picture he has. And by the way, women, we talked about how this isn't some sexist patriarchy. In fact, the language that Paul uses in Romans 8 when he talks about this is clear. He indicates Christian females too are adopted, which would have been mind-boggling to the Roman church because in Rome, wealthy benefactors weren't picking women to carry on their name. But in God's economy, he makes men and women both adopted sons. That, 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 that's an elevation to you women. That, that's, a, that's in God's heart, we are equal in value. That's what Paul's explaining. That's this beautiful picture of adoption and then redemption is that you were in prison, but Jesus paid the price. How did he pay? How much did it cost? It cost him his life. He paid with his blood for you to be adopted by God. And this is the hope that the creation can't wait until we're fully and finally announced. What's that going to look like? Man, I don't know, but I can't wait, and neither can the creation. And we have this spirit that's groaning inwardly because we're in the pains of childbirth. Paul's encouragement then, you and I are awaiting future adoption and redemption. Are you feeling the hope Paul wants for you? If you walked in here and you're suffering and you find yourself going, man, I'm having a hard time making sense of this. Here's, here's Paul's heart. Though you may suffer now, it is worth it. It's going to be worth it. His last thought in this first big idea, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now you might be in here and read that and go, hope that is not seen is not hope. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious. Who gave Paul a pen and told him to write it? Water's wet. Really? But, but. But it's not just Captain Obvious that he's speaking to here in the context of suffering. This is so helpful. See, some, some of you in here, you've suffered. Some of you have suffered in ways I can't imagine. Some of you, you, you go, yeah, I've suffered. And then some of you go, I have no clue what suffering is. And, and if you've not suffered, I'm sorry to say, I mean, it's coming. It's coming. It's either in front of you, you're going through it, or it's behind you, but, but everybody's experiencing suffering. What, what, what Paul's saying, for those who've experienced dark suffering, what's so helpful is there are these times when you're walking through such difficulty that it's as if you cannot see your hand in front of your face. That's how dark it feels in your heart. And what Paul's saying is, I know 
I know there's times you cannot make sense of reality. You can't see anything. But in those times, we don't trust what we can see. We trust in the unseen. And there is a glory that will eclipse this suffering. Paul's encouraging, not condescending or being Captain Obvious. It's going to be worth it. The baby will come. So that's Paul's first idea here. Though you may suffer now, the suffering is worth it. Meant to encourage you. But that's not all. Paul's second thought here, though you may suffer now, the Spirit is helping. Look at verse 26. He writes, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, this is a promise for Christians only. If you're in here and you go, Berlin, a Christian? Well, then all bets are off on this deal. But if you're a Christian, the promise is the Spirit helps you in your weakness. Isn't that a beautiful encouragement? No matter what suffering you bring in here, no matter what's going on, you're not alone. And I don't know about you, this last year has been tricky for me. Been tricky for you? I mean, there's been stuff that the Lord's like bringing up in my heart. I thought we were just fine without bringing that up, Lord. And it's been hard. But what a beautiful truth. Though you may suffer, you're not alone. In my suffering, I'm not alone. Whatever you're walking through, the Spirit's helping you in your weakness. Whatever you're going through right now, Christian. You, you may feel alone, but the truth from the text is if you're in Christ, you are not alone. The Spirit is helping you in your weakness. Pastor, you don't understand. I don't feel it. I don't sense him in my struggles and suffering, and I'm unaware of his presence. You may feel that way, but may I remind you, your feelings are not the authority. Our authority is the word of God. If it says it in here, we believe it. So despite your feelings, follow David's examples in the Psalms and command your will to believe what God has said. God, help me believe that you're helping me in my weakness. The Spirit is helping you. I'd love for you to write that down. If you're in such a dark place right now, suffering or struggling, this may be the best help for you to lock into that the Spirit is with me. Because the Spirit is helping you generally. But the Spirit's not only helping you generally, He's praying for you specifically from the text. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Time out, pastor. It sounds like what Paul's saying there is that sometimes I don't pray the right way, so he intercepts my prayer pass, and he changes it to be the right prayer. Is that what it's saying? Yeah, I think that's what it's saying. For real? Yeah, for real. And this is how I make sense of it. Like, have you ever been going through a really hard time, and then you've prayed, take it away? Of course not. Y'all don't pray that. Y'all spiritual. Me, on the other hand, going through suffering. What's the first thing we pray when we're going through suffering? Please, Lord, free me. Bring Moses, take me out of this suffering. That's what we pray. But it, 
As it turns out, suffering is actually a normal experience for Christians, at least if you're looking at the Bible for your authority. Turns out that when you're praying for suffering, I don't know if you've ever done this like me, sometimes I pray for suffering and I want the Lord to release me from the suffering. Lord, take the heat off. I'm on the burner and I'd like you to take the heat at least to a simmer, if not just turn it off. Shut the gas off, Lord. And the Lord does not seem to answer that prayer the way I wanted him to. What this text helps us understand is, it can be that the Holy Spirit's going, that's the dumbest prayer Jeremy's ever prayed. So I'm gonna accept that prayer and I'm gonna tell the Lord, Lord, turn the heat up. Take him to the woodshed. Just beat it out of him. But I, but I thought I was praying for like some release and the Lord just keeps turning on the heat. I think this explains how some of that works with suffering. Know this, if you're praying for, for you want the Lord to give you some, some freedom from the suffering, you're wanting some relief, it could be that that's the wrong prayer. And the Lord's wanting to do something in you. The Lord's actually going to work that heat for your good. And though you're trying to get out of it, and though it makes sense, and I want you to pray honest prayers before God, me too. It can be from this text that the Holy Spirit intercepted that prayer, and then he turns it in with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. And here's the Holy Spirit taking that prayer and saying, God, I know what you want for Jeremy is even better than what he wants for himself. Now use it. The Spirit is helping you generally, but he's also praying for you specifically. And he's using this for your good if you're in Christ. Those truths are two beautiful truths. The Spirit's helping you generally, praying for you specifically. Look at this next one, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that for those who love God, this is to you, Christian. If you're, if you're not a Christian in here, this isn't for you. This is for Christians. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, which means that suffering that you're walking through, the Lord is taking it and transforming it to be for your good. But I don't see suffering in the text. I don't see suffering in 828. Good grief, I had a coffee mug with Romans 8.28 on. I didn't know it was about suffering. <laughs> Surprise. Not only is the context all about suffering, but as it turns out, suffering is a subset of all things. If we're going to make a list of all things, suffering fits in there. Here then is God's power. The Spirit's helping you generally, praying for you specifically, and then giving you this truth. He is using all of this for my good. I love the way Keller puts it. Here's his quote. God is conforming us. God is conforming us. God has a master design. And now, every circumstance, all things, is designed to shape and polish, and melt, and smooth, and sculpt, and frame, cast, and contour us into that master design. God is pouring us into the mold of Christ's perfect greatness. And the idea of conform does not mean a superficial likeness, but something total. 
We are being remade from the inside out, from the depths. When I read that, I thought, well, no wonder it hurts so bad. He's melting us all down. He's melting everything in here down. And there are times where I think, but I, I was kind of okay with, what, with the shape I was. But he's just burning it down. And he's, and he's going to use all those things that feel like suffering. Like a blacksmith heating the fire hot, melting us down, and then pouring us into a mold of Jesus Christ. So that when he's done, you, Christian, look like Christ. I wish there was another way that felt a little better. This is the way. How do I know we're supposed to look like Christ? Well, that's verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's Jesus. That we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here then is what God is doing with all your suffering. If you're in Christ, you can believe everything you're going through is turning the fire way up, melting you way down, and pouring you to make you look more like Jesus so that at the end of time you look like Christ. That's his end game. He's making us like Christ. And here's where this text finally clicked in for me. Maybe it does for you. Do you realize then, if God sent his only son, perfect son, and Jesus' journey to glory had to go through suffering, in case you didn't know, that's the way it worked for Jesus. He came to earth and he walked through suffering. He went through the cross before he got to glory. If that was Jesus' journey, if we are going to say, oh yeah, man, Jesus, you're my hero. Man, make me like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. Then doesn't it make sense that our journey to glory will also go through suffering? Here's the sermon in a sentence. Glory comes after suffering. Glory comes after suffering. Are you sure, Pastor? <laughs> I'm sure. I read the text. There it is. It's painful, but indeed, it is true. And though you may be suffering, God is keeping his promise to conform you. Conform you to what he's promised Last verse, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Hear this beautiful Romans 8 chain. If you go back to 29, you get those whom he foreknew. And then if you fast forward, you get all the way to glory, which just brings us back to the beginning. That's the way this thing works. Those whom he foreknew. If you're going to read the Bible chronologically, I think you've got to put this idea from Ephesians 1.4, where Paul writes... God chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. There's these wonderful Bible reading plans that do it chronologically, but I've never seen one that starts with Ephesians 1.4. If we're going to make one, we should start with Ephesians 1.4, where God is in eternity past. Before he says, let there be light, before the Spirit's hovering over the waters, there's God in eternity past going, I know you. I know you. And I foreknow doesn't mean you don't have a choice in this. This is compatible. You are responsible 
for your decision to follow Christ, and yet, simultaneously, God foreknew you, and his plan was to make you holy and blameless on that side of glory. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those who he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified. Those who he justified, he's going to glorify. Suffering leads to glory. So our suffering is worth it. And the Spirit's helping us. There is a glorious future waiting, but it hurts bad. And so Paul's not downplaying the suffering you're feeling. He's not downplaying the childbirth pains. So whatever pains you're bringing to the table this morning, they are real and they are hard. But Paul's heart is that Roman Christians and us by extension would know the baby's going to come. The baby's going to come. Don't quit. We must not quit. Suffering leads to glory. So that's our text. The time we have left, let me try to press this truth into our lives. Very practically, three application ideas. Number one, number one, I'd love for you to write this down. Understand. I want you to understand suffering leads to glory. Understand suffering leads to glory. Or to use some language that's a little more tied to the text. Adopted sons of God suffer. And I'm using that in the way Paul means it, which is any men and women in here who are Christian, you are an adopted son of God. And the truth is, adopted sons of God suffer. Verse 17, verse 23, verse 29. Adopted sons of God suffer. Man, you gotta understand this. Because there's a bunch of churches you could go to today, and they're going to stand up and say, God does not want you to suffer. God wants you to be happy and healthy. Oh, you're sick? Well, something's wrong with you then. You're not trusting Jesus enough. That's baloney. And I don't know what they do with Romans 8. I guess they never preached the greatest chapter of all time. The truth of the text is, adopted sons of God suffer. Now, I don't have a theology that hunts for suffering. I'm not out there like, oh, Lord, please make it hotter. <laughs> so I'm not a glutton for punishment, but I want to read the text, and I don't want my personal preferences to overrule the text. Comfort is weird for Christians. Comfort isn't the norm. Suffering's the norm. Look at Jesus. He doesn't have a pillow. He doesn't have a bed to lay his head. He has no possessions. Suffering's the norm. And I'm sorry if, I really am sorry if, if the way you came to Christ was something like you're seven years old and somebody says, you know, mommy and daddy are going to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. Do you want to not go with them and burn in hell? Which would you like? I, I guess I'll pick mom and dad. Well, then get in the water. Let's baptize you. High five, another convert. We're doing this Let's Connect class. If you're new to Mill Creek, we'd love to have you. I mean, long story short, we're hoping you become a member of our church, Covenant Together. And, 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 and if you become a member, we're going we're gonna to ask you, do you believe in Jesus? And we're going to say, what is the gospel? How do you explain it? And, and maybe we should actually add another question in that like orientation interview where we just go, 
do you know that being a Christian involves suffering? So just think this is under this is overlooked, underemphasized. You gotta understand, man. Suffering is suffering. Suffering isn't just like this weird little thing that's outside. Suffering is a main part of being a Christian. But future glory will eclipse our suffering today. And understand, adopted sons of God suffer. But know this, the Spirit's with you, so you're not going it alone. Some of you, I'm looking out there, I know some of the ways you're suffering, but you're sticking to it. I'm so proud of you. Stick with it, Christian. Understand, suffering Suffering is part of it. And know that not only is the Spirit with you, but Jesus Christ, man, he knows what it's like. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Whatever you're going through, the Spirit's with you. And Jesus gets it. He gets it. He went to the cross. So you got to understand. Number two, hope. And hope, hope in future glory. Set your hope on what is unseen. Don't let the waves and the waters of these moments overwhelm you and leave you going, man, I guess it's not worth it. Rather, set your mind on what is unseen. Just like a mom who's experiencing birth pains has not yet literally seen the baby. You can trust the baby's coming. So it is for you, Christian. Man, hope in what is unseen. Because if we could just like get a picture of what it looks like on that side, oh, don't you know that would put steel in our spine? If we could just take a taste of what we're going to get to experience on that side when we're with God's people in the new heavens and the new earth, and, and you show up and you're like, God, I made it. I, just, I made it. And he goes, well, look what I've been doing in you. And you go, man, I look like Jesus. I smell like Jesus. I got that Jesus cologne on. That's beautiful. And hope, hope, glory comes after suffering. Finally, persevere. Christian, don't quit. Don't quit. If you're isolated, man, ask for help. If you're disconnected and think you're the only one drowning, oh man, you are not the only one drowning. Life is hard. You are suffering. But you don't have to go it alone. And the Bible has the Bible has the answers you need. So there could be that you're experiencing some suffering that the Bible actually can help you resolve. And what you need to do is just admit, man, I can't figure this thing out on my own. Persevere. Persevere. Ask for help. Stick with it. Don't give up. Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God's not quitting on you. Don't quit on him. Man, glory comes after suffering. And just like that's a story of any families had kids here, that's a story of my family. Biological child, adopted child. If you've adopted, you know there's suffering. There's suffering in whatever ways you bring child. And as difficult as it is, on this side of it, moms and dads, you might get this. You get to, you can kind of vaguely remember, oh, that was hard. And it was. But then you get to see this little child growing up and becoming who the Lord's designed them to be. It's brilliant. And that's just a taste. It's just an appetizer for what the Lord has for us. If you're in here and you don't believe in Jesus, the promises of Romans 8 aren't aimed at you, but they can be 
If you would say, it's so simple. If in your heart of hearts you'd go, God, I'd like you to adopt me into your family. And I'd like you to make sense of this suffering. And I'm sorry for the ways that I live my way. And I want to I receive you. I believe in you. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to follow you, whatever you say. You want me to go through suffering? Then I'm going to follow you through suffering. Because here's the facts, Jack. You're going to go through suffering one way or the other. You might as well have Father God as your father walking you through it. If you don't know Jesus, make him, make, ask him to save you today. And he would save you and bring you into his family. Amen. Would you pray with me? Now, Lord, thanks for your word, and I pray you would take its truth and you would anchor it deep in our lives. For those who are suffering, I pray you'd encourage, give hope, help persevere. Lord, for anyone in here who has not yet trusted in you, I pray, Spirit, you would save. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.